1: Hey, welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn,
2: and I'm Catherine Klein.
1: And Catherine, you usually see me dancing in my chair, but I, our next guest was also dancing in I her chair. Know, I know. And you don't know this; our guests, or our listeners don't know this. Our next guest is also my dance instructor. Oh. So now, now it's all coming together. Everything
2: is is coming together. You didn't you didn't tell me that before. I didn't because I needed
1: to save it for the radio. I needed good. to have that reaction live on the air.
2: So wait a minute. Like, excuse us, our listeners, we're just gonna go have a dance class. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I hear it's great.
1: Yeah, exactly. So our next guest is Dr. Timory Schmidt, a uh, sexuality educator. She is she has her hands in a lot of different pots in terms of what she does <laughs> for a living. And, and I, do you sleep? I'm not sure. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi. I didn't sleep much before this. This is like, <laughs> uh, for the average person, um, something like you're 4 a.m. So uh, I, I'm more on the late shift. So um, I am enjoying a great amount of coffee this morning.
1: Yes. Yeah, so welcome to the show, Timmery. Um, I wanted to have you on the show because I think that what you do what your background is, is quite fascinating and something that our listeners probably haven't really connected the dots as to how sexuality and sex really fits into a broader business and social impact conversation, which is what our show is about. Mm -hmm. And so um, let's start off with a little bit more about you and your background first. So
0: my PhD is in human sexuality education. So that is to clarify that I'm not a clinician. I don't do... um, private or couples counseling. Um, That would be the first thing I want to clarify. Um, I've been a sexuality educator for more of my life than not. I started out doing peer sex education, HIV prevention counseling, doing the thing where I go around to different groups or frats or classes and giving workshops, healthier relationships, uh, STI prevention, stuff like that. I started out doing that. Um, And then I also got into writing around that time. I was one of those college sex columnists when that was very exciting. Um, and from there have just sort of expanded on all of all of those things. So I'm a classroom teacher, I do workshops that the public can attend, and I also have my own podcast called Sex with Timory, um, which has been around for about as long as podcasts have, so we've gotten to talk about a lot of things on there. Um, I'm the LGBT affairs contributing writer for Philly Weekly, and, uh, among other things, I also pr- promote a lot of, like, sexuality-related events, um, I could go on for a while.
1: <laughs> you you do a lot. You do a lot, and I do remind want to remind our listeners that you can give us a ring at one eight four four Wharton. That's 1-844-942-7866 Because you know you may not have this type of access all the time, so right. definitely give us a ring. And so, Timmy, um, one of the things that you do quite well, I think, in you know talking about human sexuality is, you know. You don't keep it too wonky and you I think there's a real personal level to what you do. So sort of what's your philosophy when you talk to people around these tough topics?
0: Well, sexuality is one of those things where I feel I feel compelled to be in this field in the way that other people have spoken about having a calling like to be in the clergy or something, because I think that there are historically, two methods in which sexuality information is conveyed to us. And one is very dry. It's like very doctor talk. And the other way would be just like, this is about my personal feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, that's fun and accessible. But very often those people are just doing their best, but they don't know what they're talking about because sexuality education is not easy to access in our culture. So it's super important for me that it be interesting enough that you keep listening for reasons other than salaciousness. Mm-hmm. And so, sexuality touches on every other topic. It is not only like the anatomy physiology piece, but it also touches on like history and religion and politics, and it is applicable all of the, all
1: of the other forbidden topics. Yeah, that you're not and supposed it, to talk yeah. about.
0: It's applicable to every facet of your lived experience. So even if you were an asexual person, like you still have a gender identity, you still have um, the possibility of romantic attraction to other humans. There's just so many things about the relationship you have with your own body. Um, so, you can you can talk about sexuality in so many different ways, and it's just about making it like useful to people. I think.
2: I I, I just I will give you a plug that having just spent some time on your website, it, what you described was exactly my reaction. Like, oh right! I mean, I really had this moment of <sighs> like, oh right, sex is everywhere. <laughs> you know, like really, I had to read go to your website to understand that. But you, you know, so there was information right on. Um, talking to your kids about sex, talking to your kids about porn, date rape, sexual abuse, contraception, you know, male identity, the men's roles, women's roles, uh, you know, gender identity. It goes, you know, prostitution. It goes on and on. And um, you know, it was it was instructive. And again, as I said, my reaction was like, oh right, <laughs> you know, yeah, and. and Intellectually, we know that. But go to the website, and
0: you can read and read and read. And it's not salacious. <laughs> it goes in waves, Like what yeah. topics people are most interested in I or bet. able to talk about. right? You know.
1: and, and what's happening like right now, I mean, I know that with things in the news that my friends and family near and far across political spectra, like very, you know, like mm-hmm. it's churning some things up that really touch on the topic of sexuality and, you know, so where what are what are you thinking? People are coming to you right now about like what are some of the hot topics?
0: A couple of the major things. I mean, we would be remiss to not mention the the Kavanaugh confirmation yeah. that just literally happened and the way that that had um, that that had a, a, impacts on people all over who don't even normally necessarily follow things like that, who didn't necessarily listen to the Gorsuch hearings or anything like that. And I did an article recently for the Philly Weekly that was just literally how survivors are feeling in the wake of watching a um, sexual assault survivor talk in front of a huge panel of glowering men about her experience, and then to watch a guy get very emotional and heated about being accused of such a thing, and how, like, for lack of any better word triggering, it was for a nation of people um, that that was 100% like the biggest thing there for a while. I mean, I've, I also have been increasingly doing work around, as we have mentioned before, like sex worker advocacy, which is much more salient um, and, and the the movement is much more open now than it used to be. Um, but sexual abuse is 100% like the media dominated uh, topic at the moment. Um, for those of us in education, there's you know, a whole lot of other stuff. Like the HPV vaccine was literally just FDA approved up to the age 45 as of not like maybe a week ago. So hmm. there's a lot. Yeah.
2: Can I – I think we want to – we do want to talk about what uh, sex workers and you know, decriminalization and so on. And um, I know we want to get to that topic. But I'm curious, as you talked about the Kavanaugh hearings and so on, um, you know maybe it's what I read. Maybe it's because I'm a woman. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm much more aware of women's commentaries on this and women's experiences being triggered. But obviously, the, you know, the Kavanaugh hearings, hearing, you know, a man uh, charged with being abusive when he was in high school is triggering for men too, right? And it's triggering in the sense as of, of, as Kavanaugh, you know, it, it was. Angry, uh, um, but I imagine there are other there are other reactions that that men could have, and I don't. You know, I'm just curious to hear if you're if you're seeing a range of like, oh, damn, like I did that, and I never thought about that, or I wonder if I did, you know, did, if I've if I have overstepped in the past. What's the range of reactions that you're hearing from men? Do you feel like you're, you've got a pulse on that?
0: Yeah, the, I think that that's a really good way to put it because there are. There's also there's this political line, which is very much like um, sort of pushing back and just making this about um, like making it a he said, she said thing Mm. when it's actually an opportunity to talk about how our culture in general is really bad with consent. We all agree talking to each other. Rape is bad. We are against rape. Like it's it's a hard thing to find a person who actually would disagree with that. But in reality, our culture is set up in such a way that we don't encourage people to talk about consent or to really understand what it means we don't encourage children to have bodily autonomy and an example that i give all the time would be like telling a seven-year-old you have to hug grandma and the seven-year-old doesn't want to and on you know on the face like grandma's probably not an actual threat but what we have just told the kid is like you just spent the day with her she loves you she bought you your favorite lunch like all of these things right because she loves you it'll make her feel better if you hug her We have just told that kid that their wishes for their own body don't actually matter. And if somebody loves them or has bought them something Mm. or they otherwise owe them, you know, or it would make them sad if they didn't, they now owe physical affection to that person. And that is just a very small example of the ways in which we pay lip service to consent and don't actually mean it. Um, So it's it's prompted that conversation. But also I think it is a really important thing to say that... um, it is opening up opportunities for us to talk about restorative justice, because right now a lot of mm, the conversations are like really interesting because people talking about Kavanaugh's hearings, there's a lot of folks making it sound like he's on trial. Right. It was a job interview. And and the reason they say that is because that's our only model for addressing sexual abuse. All we can think of is call the police, arrest them, send them to jail. But in reality, that's that has proven to be super ineffective for us. We don't get the most out of that and it ends up being re-traumatizing for everybody so we are now looking at possibilities for how can a survivor get restorative justice and this is totally separate from going through any sort of criminal system
1: you're listening to dollars and change on business radio powered by the wharton school on sirius xm 132 and we're talking to dr Timory schmidt a human sexuality educator and we're spanning a bunch of topics here but i love it um, Catherine, I had a quick question for yep. you. Thinking about um Timory's example around consent, so Catherine for you Timory is an organizational psychologist. So you're not like a child psychologist or anything, but I'm just wondering from a psychology background, if you if there's if you know of any literature of like what the effect of that interaction with children could be, or like I'm trying to think like if you're yeah. if you're for setting children up for that is that true? Do we know if there are instances where that will register with children in the way that Timory described
2: it? I, you know, I the the short answer is I don't know. Okay. You know, what what you described I think is is um thought-provoking and um and plausible. Right? And particularly if that's the message that we give our kids and we never say to our kids you know we, we we sort of say that one message you know hug grandma her grandpa who are you know and don't hurt their feelings and you know you owe them um and be polite comply uh and we never say and we say you know be be afraid of of strangers and sort of nothing in between often right to our children about how you make those calls and how you might have mixed feelings and how you respect you know your own wishes and um and how you listen to somebody else's wishes. Uh, yeah. I, 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 so,
1: I didn't expect you to know because yeah, that's not I, your right, f- Yeah, field so of I don't know, but I, 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 just I mean was I wondering. think your
2: description is plausible and I know and I and I, and I think you know I, and I hope that we're getting smarter about how to parent kids.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I do want to hear from our listeners because you know we're talking about things that you know may be triggering for you, or you may have some, some thoughts of your own. So give us a ring at 1-844-WHARTON. That's one 844 942 7866 So, Timory. One of the things that we talked about, um, you know, one of the Im- reasons to bring you on the show was some of your work around decriminalizing sex work and sex worker advocacy. And that I think when people looked at our rundown, they're like, "Ooh, what are we talking about mm-hmm. here? Um, and, and so help us set the context for that conversation.
0: So this has been Obviously, a topic for thousands of years. <laughs> People have been trying to figure right. out. It's called
1: like <laughs> the oldest
0: profession. The oldest the profession, profession right. is what yeah, prostitution, right? Is. Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So um, this has been a conversation for a long time, but the there's this huge swell of support right now for sex worker rights in a way that didn't exist, um, rec- like in the recent past, because of two major bills that were passed uh, in the House and in the Senate. They're known as FOSTA SESTA. They are both meant to address sex trafficking which is the s and the t in both of them and what they were supposed to do um, is address trafficking but because in america we don't differentiate between consensual sex work which is that you know anybody can take any job where you you sell your services as it you know like you clean a house you build a thing and some folks choose to go in this profession because the hours are good and the money is good we don't differentiate between that and trafficking And trafficking is when someone gets coerced or blackmailed or is literally forced into doing sexual labor. And those things are wildly different because consent and the difference between sex work and trafficking is the difference between sex and rape. And so that's one of the conversations we absolutely need to have. But FOSTA-SESA was meant to address sex trafficking. But because we don't differentiate between the two legally, you can be arrested and jailed for trafficking yourself. And so in our attempts to combat trafficking, all we end up doing is making it much more dangerous to be a sex worker. So we've taken away a lot of the methods that sex workers were using to screen clients in an effort to combat trafficking. And so what it's actually done is made it harder for the Department of Justice to find trafficking victims. The DOJ actually came out against these bills and said, it'll be harder. It'll be harder for us to do our jobs if you do this because it just drives everything more underground. And it's made it more likely that sex workers will need a pimp or someone like that to provide physical uh, protection for them. In reality, pimps are, wow. are not protection. So, <laughs> so. I, I, I
2: think you have covered a lot of ground there. That mm-hmm. was That was a lot of content mm-hmm. for people who are not in mm-hmm. the field. Um, so I think we would take just a moment to kind of unpack some of these things, and just kind of, and or like underscore some of these things because uh, you know I think the, there was a lot of really valuable information there. Um, first, you so one thing we, you're, you're distinguishing. I mean, what a powerful metaphor, or not even a metaphor. Right? I think you're just saying no, no, no. This is not a metaphor. This is reality. To distinguish between consensual sex and rape, we all like got that. That's pretty different. But you're saying that that um, for some people. I guess for whom? Like tell it for for prostitutes. um, This is, you know, often always consensual sex, whereas for people who are caught up in sex trafficking, it's rape. So help us like understand that distinction because that was really powerful the way you put it.
0: So one of the things I definitely need to say is that the reason someone gets into their job is usually because they have to pay their bills, right? And we all choose a thing that works for us to some degree. And for most people, you find a job that has enough benefits that it's worth the disadvantages. So when I say that they go into it consensually, it's not because like, yay, this was what I you know dreamed of as a kid. When we talk about work, like it doesn't, I mean, it may be empowering for some, but it's literally just like we all our have to pay our bills. Yeah. yeah. So for some folks the The option of sex work means that they can do work at you know specific intervals that they have scheduled, so they can also go to school, or they can also raise their kids, or they can you know accomplish some other task that isn't bringing in income. Um, so they can manage their hours. The money can be good, depending on what's going on. The further down the economic ladder you go, the more dangerous it gets, the less lucrative it gets, and you're talking more and more about survival sex work, which is just I need to eat food today. So it ranges. But the idea that, um, you know, there's like the stark contrast between consensual and trafficking is is not entirely true. It has more to do with the fact that we all have to have a job and they all have disadvantages mm-hmm. and they they take emotional and physical labor. All of our jobs do. So this is just another example of that.
1: You you mentioned something last night when we were talking that I, I honestly never thought about. But to that last point around, you know, emotional and physical labor, you're like, you might have a physically demanding job where you're kind of selling your knees or you're selling your back and can you sell other body parts, right? Like that's sort of in your mind how you sort of contextualize it.
0: Yeah, I think about it largely from a worker's rights stance, which is that people talk about sex work as like you're selling your body and it's like, what is a roofer doing? (laughs) Yeah. What is a dentist doing? Yeah, right. Knowledge, you know, right? knowledge, or or right? knowledge, you
2: know knowledge and physical
0: skills, right? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's like we have just decided if it has sexuality that it has this like mystical quality to it, where it is somehow less valuable if you have done it in exchange for money. And like you can have that as your personal belief, and I won't disagree with you. It's a matter of like whether or not you get to say that everybody else has to do the so, same thing.
2: So, because um, uh, time is flying by as it often does. Um, what do you let's talk about um uh sex workers who are you know engaging in this to make a living and for whom it is consensual you know and, and i think you make an important point of like where you are on the economic spectrum of you know probably the higher end the more control you have over your services that uh, you know it's true of any almost any job what would you if you were you know, advising the presidents, advising the Congress, and and they were listening to you. <laughs> what would what would you say would be best for this industry? It's not going. First of all, it's not going away. Like we're yeah. pretty clear, it's not going away. So, what would
0: you uh, recommend to to keep people safe? What um, sex worker rights advocates in general are recommending is decriminalization, which is different than legalization. I want to clarify that because with legalization comes a, a host of other issues, including like in the places where we have legal sex work. Uh, sex workers have to like register and their privacy issues, and the possibility of that the stigma making it, you know, difficult to get any other job ever again. Um, there's also a, a variety of other issues that go with that, but decriminalization is probably our best bet because right now, um, whether you think that sex work is exploitative or not, if you have a criminal record from doing it, that is going to set you back in a lot of ways. And there is a model, it's uh, called the Nordic model. Where in some countries, it's illegal to buy sex but not to sell it. And the idea being that like they're victims and therefore they shouldn't go to jail. But that actually just makes it more dangerous. Hmm. The rates of violence go up higher. So while that seems like a moderate response, it actually makes things worse. Because as long as it's criminal, as long as it's criminalized, uh, sex workers are at incredible risk. Because they can't come forward if somebody steals from them, beats them up, etc. Because they risk their own... um, arrest. And to add to it, uh, sex workers have told me on many occasions that the folks who are most dangerous are actually the police because among the force, there are folks who want to take advantage of the job and they will exploit them. They will, you know, blackmail them for sex in exchange to not be arrested. They will abuse them in a variety of ways. So as long as there's that criminal label, they don't have a lot of recourse in proper channels.
2: So you advocate, you would decriminalize selling, uh, selling, sex selling. Uh,
0: and buying. And mm-hmm. buying. Both. Mm-hmm. Both. Yes. Yeah, to clarify. OK. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And in about the, the minute or so we have left, I one of the articles you shared with us also in terms of like rates of HIV where it's uh, they have better laws and things like that. Tell us a little bit about that too.
0: About HIV? Yeah.
1: Decriminalization? Yeah.
0: So right now in many places, um, including PA, uh, if you have hiv um you can go to jail immediately for a felony uh, if you were caught doing sex work so it's basically just that we've added this extra penalty for having hiv the idea is you know it's like people are worried about hiv understandably um but it doesn't help anybody actually yeah. and it just makes life harder for that person so that would be another thing i would definitely advocate decriminalizing well it,
1: it's just sort of interesting to think like that like you can sort of say, like, are you uh, you know, making a conscious decision to pass along HIV, which is what mm-hmm. may be the justification for it. But that's not really what we're actually talking about here. So I do think it's it, this has just been a really fascinating topic. And time flies by. So maybe we'll have to have you on again. I'd love it. Dollar <laughs> delight. Well, thanks so much. We've been speaking with Timory Schmidt, a sexuality educator. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132.